our series through the Sermon on the Mount. And really, this week's passage is closely connected to last week in dealing with adultery. As you see, unlike the others, it kind of has a, a following uh, that is very similar to those uh, such as anger and lust thus far with it was also said. We're going to be looking at divorce and talking about divorce this morning. Some of life's decisions uh, have very lasting and devastating results and um, really can impact those that we love most in our lives. And on May 31st, 1889, devastation struck West, Western Pennsylvania, uh, what is now called Johnstown's Flood, as locals call it, the Great Flood. Over 2,200 men, women, and children died when the South Fork Dam, 14 miles upstream, broke, sending 20 million tons of water down and destroying most of Johnstown. The devastation was catastrophic. It was actually one of the greatest uh, disasters in America. And all this was due to poor decisions and lack of neglecting a poor structure. There was a hunting and fishing club at the time that owned the dam, and only a few were in charge of the upkeep of the property. And instead of addressing the issues at hand, they neglected the advice of engineers. And when they saw problems, they addressed it with temporary patches of mud and clay. That didn't do justice. Instead, disaster struck as many lives were impacted by this. Life's decisions can have lasting and devastating results when not considered and compared to the Word of God. And divorce is one of those. So this is a very sensitive topic, and it's a very sensitive topic because divorce is very much prevalent in our society, and Christians are not immune to that. I'm sure that most families in this room have been impacted in some way or another by divorce. And so with that being said, really there's two things that I want to present before us before we even jump into our time this morning in regards to the sensitivity of this subject. First is, as the people of God, we must ultimately submit to the Word of God. So whether it's past experiences or presuppositions, those all must submit to the Word of God. This is very important, especially with a topic as sensitive as divorce. Second, I want you to know, those of you who have personally been impacted by divorce, there is great grace and mercy found in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the very reason Jesus came to this earth was to save messy and broken individuals. And he restores and reconciles. So this morning, if conviction comes, I pray that you would look to Christ. 
pray that we'd all look to Christ this morning as we look at this subject of divorce. And really, I'd, our outline is looking at Jesus' position on marriage, Jesus' position on divorce, and then a kingdom citizen's response, our response in considering his position on marriage and divorce. So our text, verses 31 and 32, reads, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I think it's very important for us to understand Jesus' position on marriage before even jumping into our passage this morning. So what did Jesus think of marriage? Well, we know that the word of God is his word. So turn with me over to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in 18, verse 18. We're going to see the creation of marriage. And really, first, God designed and created and instituted marriage. This is the baseline for our thoughts as the people of God in regards to our position on marriage. God created it. In verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature... That was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Where was Jesus' stance on marriage? He created it. God created marriage. Really, in our creation account here, in Genesis chapter 1, there's a reoccurring statement. God would say, let there be something, and it would happen. He created. And after each of those, he would say, it was good. At the end of his creation in Genesis 1.31, he says, it was very good as he looked at it all. But here we see a negative statement. It was not good that the man was alone. God created marriage for companionship. We see that he gives them this task, almost seems kind of an eruption or interruption in the passage. What's going on here for him to give this task? It's for him to personify the need that Adam had to have a companion, a helper, a one that would complement him. So God created marriage. God created marriage for companionship, and it was 
a covenantal relationship. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. And in reality, our culture has really set that aside. And instead, we've allowed Hallmark movies and Lifetime shows to invade our understanding of marriage. That's not to say that love and enjoyment and happiness isn't part of marriage. But marriage is based on a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. A promise to be bound together for a lifetime. This is the original design. We have an image of a covenant in Genesis chapter 15. And really, when it says make a covenant, it really the language is cut a covenant. And we see that image when Abraham comes to the Lord and trusts his promises. The promise that he'll make a great nation from him through Isaac, his son. And it's in that passage in Genesis chapter 15 that God calls him to bring several animals and to cut them in two and to separate them. Later on, it says that the Lord passed through those pieces of animals. It was this symbolizing that any other party that would break this covenant should be like these animals cut in two. It's serious. Marriage is a relationship that the Lord created. Created for the purpose of multiplication. Brother Rick highlighted this last week on this side of the cross. Us having children is an opportunity to raise up disciples that love the Lord. But the command was given in Genesis 1, 28, where he says, Go and be fruitful and multiply. Marriage was created to last a lifetime. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 19? Matthew chapter 19, it would be good for you to know in advance, we're going to be coming back to this passage. This passage really uh, is almost a commentary to our passage. Gives us further teaching on Jesus and his position on marriage and divorce. So Jesus' position on marriage is he believes and knows that he created it. He created it for companionship, for multiplication, and for it to last a lifetime. He answered in verse 4 of Matthew 19, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh, Jesus says. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is designed and created to last a lifetime. And then marriage reflects the gospel. What a wonderful privilege. You turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 5, marriage reflects the gospel. In verse 22, Paul is speaking about the household and he begins with wives and then moves on to husbands but gives us a greater understanding of the relationship between a man and a woman. In Ephesians 5.22 it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord 
as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Marriage is a relationship on earth that best reflects the gospel to the rest of the world. This is all God's design. So knowing Christ's position on marriage, the simple answer to his view of divorce is he's opposed to it. Because it goes against its very nature and design. It's dissolving the very thing that he created which is good and right. So when we come to Jesus' position on divorce in Matthew chapter 5, we must know that he's addressing something very serious here. Divorce is an affront to the very thing God created. He says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So just as we've seen in previous passages above, Brother Rick made the point to remind us that Matthew is clear in his writing. Jesus is clear in his speaking. He'll say, as it is written, if, it's, if he's referring back to Scripture. Now, what he's addressing is the thinking and the teaching of the days found in that of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes and lawyers of the day. He's addressing their misunderstanding and misapplication of the Word of God. And he says, it is said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. Flip back over to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to spend quite a bit of time there for a moment, but I'm going to flip over to Deuteronomy 24 as you're flipping over to Matthew 19. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 is where we get the quote from our passage. It says in verses 1 through 4, which is the full context, when a man takes a wife, and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her 
and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she had been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So the question at hand for the Jews at the time was, what does this mean? How do we apply this indecency, this excuse for divorce? Well, you actually had two parties. You had one teaching, one set of group, that took a very conservative approach that said this indecency was unfaithfulness. So they broke the covenant relationship by unfaithfulness, adultery. Then you had a very liberal approach. You had an approach that it could be any, any excuse that you could find wrong with her. She was not what she looked like when you first married her. You found out that she wasn't a good cook, and she burns a meal. I kid you not, this is a documented excuse for divorces, burning a meal. If this was the same standard today, oh good grief, how much trouble we would be in. But divorce was taken lightly by many of the day, interpreting Moses as commanding divorce, when instead there's a permitting of divorce. See, what he's doing here is not encouraging men to divorce their wives, but really discouraging it because it's a public matter. If man and woman couldn't just dissolve their marriage without it making it public. And really what he's trying to do is keep the purity of the people of God at hand and setting these up. This wasn't the process for divorce, but the aftermath of divorce. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day had twisted the word of God to indulge their flesh. In Matthew chapter 19, here's where it comes up. Beginning in verse 3, we'll read through verse 12. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So the question comes up to Jesus. Is there any cause? What does he do? He puts his position of marriage before them. Here's where I stand on marriage. They go on further. They said to him, why then, listen very carefully, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? What they have done is twisted scripture in order to excuse any matter that they thought suitable to send a wife away. Listen to Jesus' Jesus's response. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses, he could have said aloud, I mean, per, uh, command, 
but it's what does he say? Allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Do you see what's going on here? They have taken the word of God and used it to feed their flesh. So when a complaint arose, when discontent arose in their hearts, they sought divorce, which was not commanded, but allowed. And really, here's what Jesus is doing. He's going to the heart of the issues, saying it's from the heart that divorce is produced. Because God created marriage, man and the sinfulness of man has produced divorce. These individuals have twisted and misapplied scripture so that they could indulge in their passions. Brother Rick mentioned several reasons for these divorces, such as seeing another woman that pleased them. Listen, we know that life is difficult. Life is not always what it's presented on social media, on the movie sets, and on the television. Marriage is difficult and hard and a struggle. And for the people of God, Jesus is pushing them towards a better understanding that marriage is meant to last a lifetime. Divorce is the opposite of the intentions of God's creation of a marriage. And here's just a really good application for you and me. When we go to Scripture and isolate a commandment and become away from that and apply it to our lives, we can come away with dangerous decisions. And that's what's happened here. From Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, you could have a right understanding of marriage and divorce. But these individuals isolated Deuteronomy chapter 4, and they made an application out of that, which is dangerous. He's getting to the point and addressing a culture where they allowed divorce to run rampant. And that's very true today. In 1969, California instituted the no-fault divorce law. And now all 50 of our states have that law. Where you don't have to give really any substance or blame either party to dismiss and dissolve a marriage. For the people of God, for Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, He's wanting us as kingdom citizens to live at a higher standard. For us to consider the fact that divorce, though there is grounds for sexual immorality, it's not commanded, but our pursuit is a lifetime of companionship and reflection of the gospel. That's how we uphold marriage, the good gift of marriage that God has created. We shouldn't allow the world 
and the philosophies of the world and the thinking of the world to influence our understanding of this beautiful institution. Marriage and divorce is a very serious topic. So knowing Christ held a high view of marriage and spoke against those that would excuse divorce for any reason other than what is given in Scripture and sexual immorality, you're finding yourself in sin. Because remember, with anger and lust, they said, we've kept the commandments. We have not murdered. We have not committed adultery. They've tried to slip around the word of God. But Jesus says, oh no, it's a matter of the heart here. And those of you who think you've escaped sexual immorality and adultery by giving her a certificate of divorce, oh no, you have caused her to commit adultery. And those that would marry a woman who's been divorced, they are now in adultery as well. Sin is a very sticky and messy thing when not handled according to the word of God. So as the people of God, as a kingdom citizen, what's our response? Well, we should be sure that we align our position with that of Christ. Having a high view of marriage. And seeing that divorce is in opposition to his original design. There's three things that I think we could apply. First, protect. Protect. I think we should protect our marriages from divorce and adultery. And really, this begins with several things. And first is, count the cost. Understand that your marriage and you dissolving a marriage is you're allowing that to ripple out, not only into your life, but into the lives of your children. For those that would commit adultery, when they commit adultery, it's not just them and the other individual involved. It's their spouses. It's their children. It's their church family. It's their friends. It's their neighbors. It ripples out greatly. Count the cost of divorce. The kingdom people, we don't present that as an option. We look to the sanctity and purity and holiness of that union that God has created and designed. We should also cherish the design, knowing that this wasn't made up by man, but this was actually made up by God for the good of his people, for multiplication, for proclamation. These are good things to remember. We should cherish the word of God. Couples, I encourage you to be engaging with one another with the Word of God. How are y'all reading the Word of God together, applying the Word of God together, talking about it with one another, hiding God's Word with one another? Young families, we're encouraging you to lead your families and family devotionals. Are you doing that together and allowing the Word to saturate your lives and your family? Allowing to have ultimate authority in your lives so as you read about his design of marriage, you can say, no, divorce is not an option for me and her. Cherish the word of God. 
cherish the gospel and protecting your marriages and your family. Cherish the gospel message. The relationship between a man and a woman and marriage is a beautiful mirror to the world and to our children of what Christ has done for us. Look and cherish Christ and his work on the cross. Don't allow sexual immorality to invade and attack your marriage and family. Also, in this protection, I think it's good to know that their need for reconciliation and forgiveness and pursuing that, where that needs to be pursued in the broken relationships around us and the ones that we've allowed to happen with, with really very little biblical guidance. Another thing is partnering with one another. That's the beauty of a church family. It's not that we just all gather on a Sunday morning. It's not that we live in this town or live in this community. The fact that we all have covenant together, committed to one another, being honest with one another, not sugarcoating what's really happening in the home, and keeping one another accountable. When one confides in another, being sure that you're encouraging them and praying for them. And being real with one another. I'd also encourage us as parents and as a church body to partner with one another. To show our children in the next generation that the divorce is not what classifies our marriages as believers in Jesus Christ. We call for a commitment, a covenant that will last a lifetime. For in sickness, in health, for better or for worse, until death do us part, those really just fly off the tongue and not really consider and weight it as we consider the promise that we're making to one another. So let us as a church family partner with one another. And then lastly, protect Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. What an honor it is to know that the design God had in mind was that of multiplication, that of companionship, that of something that will last a lifetime, but that that would mirror the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your witness, your witness your prayer life, as Peter mentions in chapter 3. All this is caught up in your marriage. Enjoy that relationship. Enjoy that companionship and reflect that. In closing, I think it's worth noting that sin invades our lives. We'll allow the flesh to seep through any chance we get. And we have examples of men in Scripture, godly men, men who are described by God's words, not ours, as men after their own heart. David, a man who penned most of the Psalms, a man who loved the Lord, who attempted to live his life in a way that's honorable and holy, but he found himself in sin. 
and adultery. He penned after he was confronted, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Bless what I encourage us to have a high view of the word of God and allow our understanding of marriage to be submitted to that. And when the topic of divorce comes up, let us not counsel towards that, but let us counsel toward purity and holiness. And when there needs to be forgiveness and reconciliation, pursue it as Christ pursue reconciliation, the cross. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the institution of marriage. We thank you that, Lord, you designed it, created it, and uh, created it to last a lifetime. But, Lord, the sinfulness of man, our flesh and the heart is very corrupt, and it is out of that that we've produced divorce, the dissolving of something good and sweet. So for the individuals, the lives that have been impacted by divorce, Lord, I pray that they would draw near to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, your mercy is so much greater. Lord, as high as the heavens are above the earth, as, as vast and high and deep is your steadfast love for us in Christ Jesus. So for the believer that has found themselves in sin. Lord, I pray that they would run to the cross, that they would seek forgiveness, that they would go and they would reconcile the relationships that need to be reconciled. For the marriages represented in this room this morning, Lord, I pray that we would be very passionate and consistent in guarding this wonderful institution, marriage. That we would not allow the thinking of this world or our flesh to, to see through and us to uh, res, res, uh, instead consider divorce as an option. Let us live lives that are right and pure, that we protect and proclaim and partner with one another as we live to be a light influence internally and externally in this world. Lord, we love you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.